You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. 1 Samuel 16, the rise of David. And we're looking at this whole chapter today, but before we get started, I've got a story about uh, one Chad Elwartowski and his girlfriend, Suprani Thepdet. I think I'm saying her name right. But they thought they had it made. These two, you see, were living in a sea house about 15 miles off the coast of Thailand. Their stated goal was to live outside of the jurisdiction of any sovereign nation on the earth. In fact, they published a statement on their social media accounts that said they had declared their independence from and freedom from any court of law in any nation on the earth, including the Thai government. Unfortunately, the Thai government took issue with that statement. And they took issue with their floating house being parked 15 miles off of their coastland. In fact, the Navy came and charged he and his girlfriend with the crime of violating Thai sovereignty, which is punishable by life in prison and even the death sentence, okay? Believe it or not, the death sentence. They received a tip that they were going to be arrested, and so they fled, and it actually turns out that they were able to go into hiding successfully, so the Thai government is still looking for them. Now, we don't know how this story is going to end, okay? But here's one thing we do know. Living with your girlfriend before you're married is wrong on so many levels. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) This is not a sermon about that, although we do know that's wrong. But this is a sermon about the sovereignty of God, and no matter how much you try, you will never be able to get outside of the sovereignty of God. Just as these two found out, you don't want to mess around with the sovereignty of any nation, especially when you're parked 15 miles off their coast. It's also a reminder that as we study our Bibles, mankind is never outside of the sovereignty of God, our Creator. His plans cannot be thwarted. Because he is all-knowing, all-powerful, and everywhere present. And in our chapter today, we're going to see his amazing power once again. He's going to give the, he shows us his power and the sovereignty that he has in David and Saul's lives, okay? We're going to see that in this chapter. That is the main theme of chapter 16, is how God is able to do all of these things. He orchestrates all of these things. He operates in total control over the affairs of men and, and, and has sovereignty in David and Saul's life. You see, David had been chosen from eternity past to be the king over all Israel. Now, we shouldn't think that Saul's rejection as king forced God's hand to go find David and to find another king. Rather, we should see that God's act of choosing David was based on his foreknowledge of what he knew both Saul and David were going to do. You see, God in his omniscience knew Saul would disobey and depart from following him. And he also knew that David, a simple shepherd boy, would be a man after his own heart. God's superior wisdom is shown to us in this story today as we see that he allowed the people to have what they wanted in anointing Saul as their king. And now God will raise up 
his king, who will be the perfect fulfillment of his will. You see, it's through the family tree of David that will one day come Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. And only God in His amazing sovereignty is able to bring all of this about. We see that as we begin today in verse 1 with the anointing of David. Look at verse 1 of chapter 16. We read, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. Let's pause right there for a moment and look at this. We're not told exactly here how long Samuel has been in mourning. But if you remember from previous studies, we know that Samuel and Saul had a bond. Samuel had anointed Saul as king. They had gone through a process together. And Samuel loved Saul. He wanted the best for Saul, just like God wanted the best for Saul. But Samuel is caught up now in this morning. We don't know how long, but it seems that it was long enough that God had to break in on Samuel's morning. He had to get him going again. It's time to get over your morning and regrets It's time to get moving again, God told Samuel. Samuel might have objected, hey, I've got a good reason for mourning though, God. I've got a good reason for being down today. But Samuel could have said, he could have objected. After all, Saul was the man that God had brought to him as the very first king in Israel. He had started out humble, handsome, tall, the people's pick. Yet, like so many things in life, it did not work out the way that Samuel thought it would or that it should. There's a point of application in this for us this morning, isn't there? Because this is life for all of us. We all have expectations for certain things. Expectations for ourselves as well as for other important people in our lives. Perhaps you find yourself in a place like Samuel today. You're in mourning because something in your life has let you down. Perhaps someone in your life has let you down. Could it be that your husband has not lived up to your expectations for him as a spiritual leader in your home? Could it be, husband, that your wife has not lived up to your expectations for what a woman, a wife is to be, that, that helper comparable to you that God raises up for you. I'll never forget when I went in for my premarital counseling appointment with my pastor Rob, me and Rebecca. And the first time we met, he had told us beforehand, he said, make sure you come in with a list of your expectations for each other in marriage. And I thought, well, okay, that's kind of interesting. We're going to jump right into it, I guess. And so I sat down and I thought, okay, what am I expecting from my wife? And I kind of made my little list, you know. I say little. Had about 20 things on there, I think, you know. And I came in and we sat down and Rob said, did you guys prepare those lists? And he, I said, yes, yeah, I, I prepared my list. And he said, okay, go ahead and get those out now. So I, I reached over and pulled out my paper and there it was. It was all filled out, you know. And I look over at my beautiful bride-to-be, Rebecca's, paper there in her hands she has one thing written on it one thing right and I'm going oh and I kind of fold mine up and kind of put it back under the Bible a little bit 
she had written on there that he would be a man of God, you know, that, that he'd be the spiritual leader, basically, of the home is what she, that was her only expectation for me, whereas for me, I was like, okay, I need my meals and, you know, the laundry, you know, and Rob just looked at me and he was like, are you serious, Phil? And I was like, uh, yeah, why, you know? He, he's like, oh my goodness, we're, we're going to have to pray for you. We're going to be praying for you, Phil. And I had no idea what he was talking about at the time. But needless to say, poor Rebecca's expectations for a godly husband were not met, okay? And we're, we're still a, I'm still a work in progress here. And, and you, might, you might be in a situation somewhat like that. Perhaps one of your students has let you down, or one of your children has, has not met the expectations that you've set for him. Listen, this is life. Samuel was dealing with this, and he was in mourning. The problem was, he was in mourning for longer than God wanted him to be. Nothing wrong with mourning. Sorrow is an emotion that God has given us. But the Lord comes along and he says to him, hey, my heart is broken too, but it's time to keep moving. There is work to be done, and there is more to your life than these failed or unmet expectations. Yes, it is just part of life in a fallen world, guys. We face trials. We face pain and sorrow. We face broken hearts when expectations are not met. But listen, we have to learn to pick ourselves up. We cannot stay in mourning indefinitely. We cannot become victims of an endless cycle of pity parties. Why is that? I'll tell you, the answer is found in our text this morning, because God is on the move. We serve a God who is on the move. There is endless work for us to do. He has a plan. He has a purpose for you. And if you refuse to move on, you too will miss what the Lord wants to do in your life now. Moving on to verse 2, we continue. It says, And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Notice here that things have gotten so bad now that, that Saul is prepared, or Samuel is actually afraid for his life. The nation's leader, the spiritual leader of the nation, Saul, is, I'm sorry, Samuel, he's, he's fearing that Saul's going to come after him and kill him. That's not right. That's not good. Things have really deteriorated at this point. Verse 3 then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I name to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peaceably? Now, I want to ask you guys, why did the elders of Bethlehem tremble with fear there in verse 4 at the coming of Samuel? Well, if you think about it, Samuel is both high priest and prophet of God. He's a man of God, tasked with dispersing the word of God. And whenever a man of God like Samuel shows up in somebody's life, you never know what will happen next, do you? <laughs> you never know what message from God a man like Samuel would be carrying. This also reminds us, that's, that's why the people were afraid, but this reminds us of why the, uh, you know, there's often isolation that comes with being a shepherd of God's people. 
People are afraid sometimes to get close to somebody that is sharing the Word of God, speaking forth the Word of God. And, and that can be because they're afraid of what God might say to them through that man. That's certainly the case here in, in Samuel's life. You see, there are certain people who have an established reputation for speaking forth God's Word. And when they show up at your door, it could be scary. It could be hard not to be afraid of that person because you never know what God might share with you through that person. You know, I experience this sometimes as a preacher here in church. I can't tell you numerous times I've had conversations with you guys of where you've come to me and you said, hey, something along the lines of, hey, there I was sitting in my chair and you started talking about something and I thought to myself, oh no, here he goes. Lord, please help him not to say that. Please help him not to say it. And then I say it. And it's as if God is speaking to your heart through what I say. And oftentimes, I've come to find out afterwards in my conversation, that was not even in my notes. It was not something in my notes. It's something God put on my heart to share while I was talking that morning. And often, it is the conviction of the Holy Spirit speaking through the Word of God that is speaking to your hearts. And I'm not out there getting the scoop on you from your wife. Trust me. I'm not out there on Facebook, you know, stalking you to see what you're doing with your free time. I'm not into that. I don't have time for that. But if God is speaking to you here on a Sunday morning, rest assured, it's not because of me or anything I've done. It's because God loves you. It's because He cares so much about you. He's not gonna, He's, he's gonna communicate with you. You're His child. You're his, you're his little boy, his little girl that he loves so much. And because he loves you, he's going to speak to you through the word of God. That was what Samuel experienced. And that's why sometimes people were afraid of him. Verse 5, it says, And he said peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So notice here, this is a public event then. And, and that means that there are going to be many people attending the sacrifice, the public sacrifice. And so this also increases the danger now of what Saul is doing. Because the chances are greater that someone could leave the public sacrifice and go let Saul know, hey, by the way, Samuel was in Bethlehem and he dumped a flask of oil over David's head, you know, anointing him as the next king. Verse 6, we continue, it says, So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Notice Samuel is still going off of the previous mold for choosing a king. He's looking for tall, dark, and handsome still, right? He's still looking for the tall guys and the good-looking guys. Number six, verse 7 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature. Because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That is a great verse to underline if you are into writing in your Bibles. This is a great lesson. One of several great lessons that we have been learning in the book of 1 Samuel. Now, we've been given a great lesson in chapter 15. Remember, remember the lesson in chapter 15 was that to obey is better than sacrifice. In other words, it's better to obey God's word in your life, 
to live out your, your practical Christian faith, it's better to do that than it is just to uh, worship God from afar off as, as if it were a ritual, right? An external religious exercise. God wants your heart. It's better to obey than to sacrifice, we learned in chapter 15. Here in chapter 16, we've got another great principle of truth reminding us here in verse 7 that the Christian life is not a life that judges external appearances. The Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Here's Samuel. He's ready to anoint the next king of Israel. And he's looking at this Eliab guy. And Eliab is tall, man, and he's got muscles. And he carries himself with confidence. And Samuel just goes, oh, man, this guy is oozing king. This guy is oozing leadership 101. You know, this is the man right here. And God rebukes Samuel and says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, you're looking at the outward appearance, but that's not what I'm looking at. You see, God has a different priority. The opposite of what Saul was. Remember, Samuel looked at Saul and saw the same things. He was tall. He was handsome. He was humble. He seemed like everything externally a great leader. But God now says, hey, Samuel, actually, that's where you and the people get it wrong because you judge by external appearances. I judge by the heart. I see inside of a man. In other words, I know what the motives of a man are because I can see inside of his heart. We have to be so careful of doing this, guys. You see, we tend to judge by external appearances too much in Christian circles. And it is a trap. It can cause us to be those who are living for the wrong motives. Actually living to please others by the image that we put forth. This is such a trap for Christianity. You see, we we often take in the Word of God and we take it in and we're going, oh yeah, that's good for so-and-so. Oh yeah, that's a great principle for my son. Or, oh yeah, this is such good truth for that person that I know over there. But we're failing to realize that first and foremost, the Word of God needs to be applied in my heart, in my life. And we can begin, we can fall into this trap that, oh, you know, I have to look like I've got it all right so that I can tell other people how to live their lives. That's a trap, guys. External appearances is not what God is looking at primarily. Look at Luke chapter 16 and verse 15. It'll be up on the screen. It says, and this is Jesus speaking. He said to them, he's speaking to the Pharisees here. He says, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts for what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Wow. Abomination. Jesus uses the strongest language to condemn a life of external religiosity. A life that wants to look like you've got it all together in front of everybody else. A life that wants to look like you are justified. Man, that is a trap. That kind of a mentality is what produced the Pharisees. 
They were religious outwardly, but inwardly they were wicked and far from God. Which would you rather be? Looking like you've got it all together outwardly. Hey, nothing wrong with my marriage. Nothing wrong with my family life. Nothing wrong with my personal private life. When in fact you're far from God because of the things you're practicing in secret. Or because your marriage is falling apart and one day it explodes and everybody goes, huh, what, I didn't see that coming. What's going on there? Man, guys, we have got to get over this mentality. James chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 show us another way that this plays out in life. James says, yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the Scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. Notice, James says, everyone, everyone's guilty of this without realizing it. We favor people based on what James is saying here. We decide who would be a good servant of God. Oh yeah, that person would be great. That person is qualified. Hey, we're looking at the externals. Hey, we decide what our kids are capable of by their externals. That kid would be good here. That kid would be a great this or that. Not realizing that it's not about the externals in God's eyes. It's about availability. That's the one intangible thing that David had going for him. He was available to God. He desired God. He was a man after God's own heart. You see, that is the intangible that God is looking for in us. And so when we go around and we play favorites, hey, I'm going to reach out to this person or to that people group, but not these over here. Or here at church, I'm going to greet this person or that person because of what they look like externally. Hey, all of that stuff, it's, it's wrong, James is saying. The Bible teaches us that in God's economy, Weakness is valuable. Availability is valuable. Because then we are dependent on Him. We're dependent on Him instead of ourselves. Our own strength. Our own wisdom. Our own riches. God is not looking for someone who thinks that they've got it all together. God is looking for someone who is a man or woman after his own heart. Someone who knows, I'm going to make mistakes. (laughs) I don't have a perfect marriage. I don't have it all together with my kids. Even in my personal life, I've got areas that I struggle in. But I'm able to admit that. I'm open about that. I'm transparent with God. I'm transparent with a, a brother or a sister that I'm close with. And I'm walking this walk after God's own heart because when I fall, I get back up and I continue to pursue Jesus. I pursue the Lord. That's the kind of man or woman God is looking for. Not someone that's perfect. Not someone that's got it together. Just someone who says, God, I'm available and I need you. I need you, Lord. Verse 8, we continue on. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Verse 11. Samuel said to Jesse, 
Are all the young men here? Then he said, There remains yet the youngest, and there he is keeping the sheep. What a great place to find the next shepherd of Israel, right? He, he's already doing it. You know, I want to tell you guys something. A lot of times, Christians will sit back and they will wait for an invitation to get involved in something. And, and, and in my experience, I often find that they're waiting for an invitation from the pastor himself. Because if anybody less than the pastor asks me, well, it must not be important. But notice here what David's doing. David's tending the sheep. He's the next shepherd of Israel. He's not waiting for an invitation to go and to do. He's doing. He's doing. He's already there. And guess what? When God looks for the next shepherd to be able to raise up, to take over a church someday, or to plant a church someday, he's not looking for the Christian that's sitting back and going, I'm waiting for somebody to, to, to you know, ask me. God's looking for the people that are out there tending the sheep. God's looking for the folks that are already got their hands dirty that are already being the hands and the feet of Christ, that are already finding ways that they can utilize the gifts that God has given them. Verse, uh, continuing there in verse 11. So there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. And now he was ruddy, means red hair. By the way, he has a temper to go with it, we'll find out. No, I'm not saying that red hair and tempers go together, okay? Sorry to all you people of Irish descent, like myself, who, by the way, I do have a temper. Verse, verse 12, though, with bright eyes and good looking. Okay, so he's a, he's a unique individual. He's got bright eyes. He's filled with joy, and he's good looking. God, God here is recognizing that about him. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Jesse never would have chosen his youngest son to be the next king. He just didn't think that way. Samuel would never have chosen David either. However, David was God's man. Or, or boy, I should say. <laughs> What's the difference? Did it have anything to do with their outward appearance? No. We know that God wasn't looking at the physical appearance here. He's looking at the heart. God is an interior decorator. God is concerned with the motive of your heart more than your externals, the tangibles, so to speak. He's looking for the intangibles. What was the difference between David and Saul? That difference is recorded for us in chapter 13 and verse 14, where it tells us that David was a man after God's own heart. And then in chapter 15, it tells us that David was a man, he was a neighbor of Saul, but he was a neighbor who was worthy. Okay, he was honorable. This means that David was a man who desired fellowship with God, and he was a man of faith. David would fail miserably in many ways. In fact, I don't know if you realize this, but if you were to compare the sins of Saul and the sins of David and all of the problems that David had with his family, David's sin was greater than that of Saul. His family problems were enormously greater than Saul's problems. 
Yet in spite of his failures, deep down he had a faith in God that never failed. He loved and trusted God. He desired to walk with God in a relationship. And even when God had to discipline David to the point of taking the life of one of his children, and even almost David's own life, David still never failed to trust in him. He desired to have fellowship with him even through the roughest times of his life. That's the difference between Saul and David. So let that be an encouragement to you here today. You see, some of us, we fail in major ways. We make huge mistakes in our lives. We commit grievous sins. But know this, it is our faith in God. It is our desire to walk with God that will bring us through those low times. And God himself will never give up on us. God never rejected David because of David's heart. David's had a heart after God, and so God said, hey, as long as you're willing to pursue me, I got you, David. I've got you. So we will fail. But let us never fail in trusting in our God and desiring after Him. Verse 13, let's continue and close out this first section here. It says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went, or arose and went to Ramah. Now, I want to pause right here for a second and just talk with you about the Holy Spirit this morning. Remember that in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit only anointed or filled those who were accomplishing God's purposes. That's the difference between the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. Okay, in the New Testament, Jesus, or I'm sorry, God baptizes all believers. In the moment that you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us the Holy Spirit baptizes us or fills us and, and brings us into the family of God. Okay, That is God's work in us when we believe the gospel. He fills us with the Spirit. That's the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. But today, also, the, the, the Bible teaches us in Mark chapter 1 and verse 8 that Jesus baptizes all Christians with the Holy Spirit who come to Him by faith, seeking to be empowered to live for God's purposes. Look at Acts chapter, eight, or Acts chapter 1 verse 8. It says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That description right there is speaking of the relationship of the Holy Spirit that Jesus specifically was going to send. That Jesus would baptize His disciples, His followers, with the Holy Spirit, that He would come upon them. That, and that word come upon, it literally means to overflow to immerse completely. So it's above and beyond a filling. That filling takes place. God baptizes you in the Spirit of God. He fills you with the Spirit the moment you believe. But this is talking about when Jesus sends the Spirit to overflow your life so that you can make an impact in the world. 
The Holy Spirit's presence in the believer's life is the difference maker. You see, we cannot live our Christian lives without God's help, without the help of the Spirit comforting us, leading us, guiding us in the truth. Has Jesus Christ baptized you with the Holy Spirit? Do you desire to be empowered for Christian service? Just as David was anointed with oil, a symbolic act that represented the Spirit of God filling a person's life, so too we need the Holy Spirit to empower us for service. The Holy Spirit anointed Saul and then left Saul and filled David's life. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit fills all believers. And if you and I will seek that gift by faith, the Bible promises God will answer us. Luke chapter 11 and verse 13 tells us, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? That's a promise from God. And my question for you guys this morning is, have you cashed in on that promise? Have you cashed in on the promise of the Holy Spirit for your life? Well, my plan was originally to make it through the entire chapter today, but I'm going to break it off right here. We don't have time to finish this up to do it justice, so we'll finish this another time where we see the condemning of Saul, verses 14 through 23. So, of course, that's going to make half your study guide no good to you anymore. And I'm sorry for those of you that are meeting in life groups and going off of the study questions tonight, but half of the study questions aren't going to make sense till we cover this study. But I think this is a good place for us to stop. And, and it's precisely because of what we've talked about with the Holy Spirit. Now, I know the Holy Spirit makes people feel uncomfortable sometimes. But listen, as Christians who believe the Word of God, we've just got to get past that. We've got to realize the Holy Spirit is not a, a, a spirit of discomfort. He's not going to stretch you and make you do things that you're not comfortable with in the sense of outside of your personality, things that are not you. But the Holy Spirit does fill us and empower us to serve God with the gifts that, and the talents that God has given us. And, and so this morning, I just want to ask you guys, you know, again, have you cashed in on that promise from God? You know, God, God, Jesus said right there that, hey, that's a promise from the, the Father to you and to me. And, and you and I, we know how to give good gifts to our children. And, and we have a sinful nature. And yet we still desire to bless our kids. God says to you and to me, hey, the greatest blessing in your life is this infilling, this baptism of the Spirit of God. It's something that equips you and empowers you. And it's something that, that the Spirit will then rest on you, just like as He rested on David's life and anointed him for service throughout his career there. It's important that we as believers have that same anointing in our life. 